I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, James, we are back. We're back for a holiday edition of the podcast, our last podcast of 2022. You're, so you're allowed to speak. The next, the next show I'll, we'll be talking next year, right? Yeah. It's, it's been uh, 2023. The, uh, the podcast has been kind of star-crossed lately. We've had, we've had illness. We've had traveling. We had audio problems last time. So apologies to everyone. Like, it's... We, the podcast has had a really tough month of December. It's kind of going through the uh, mid-season grind more than than we wanted it to. So, um, and we're, we are going to be off next week. So we're going to try and make this one a really good show to uh, to cap off the year. How should we do that? <laughs> I don't, just just not make it terrible. Okay. Have some have some good have some good analysis and banter. Okay. <laughs> I like like we've been doing this for over ten years, and you're still. How do we make a good podcast? We're just always trying to improve. Just always trying to get better, James. That's the goal. Well, I, and I appreciate the people that are often putting comments on the uh, site about ways we can be better, and we're always we take them to heart. We're trying to be better. So and. You know, I think I don't think we have any audio issues. I don't think uh, I think this is not uh, wood. I don't know what we're talking about today. We you haven't never really planned know what it out we're or anything because I don't well, tell you. Sometimes I sometimes I can guess, but even last night I was watching the lightning game and I was like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. But well, anyway, let's uh, you uh, you start us well, off. Let me just say, James, because there is a game on Thursday. People may be listening to this after that game has taken place Thursday afternoon. We're not going to, I don't want to delve like too deeply into that Tampa game just because like if, if someone is listening to this after the the flyer game, like, I don't know, they're probably moved on. Like that was, we can just say that was an impressive win. I think is what we can say. Tampa did not look good, but credit to the Leafs. They, they took care of business. I think is well, what I would say. I mean, 
it, it's a continuation of, of a trend. I mean, they were just really dominant defensively. You know, it was a continuation of a trend where they've been really, really good since start of November. A couple of blips, you know, like the Calgary game. and But, you know, I mean, they have the third best record in the league right now. The only teams ahead of them in point percentage are Boston and Carolina. Uh, they moved ahead of New Jersey. Uh, they've got Tampa in their rearview mirror a little bit with a five-point breathing room. And and uh, they've played two more games in the Lightning. So that's going to be a battle right to the end. And it'll be really interesting to see if Boston falters at all and lets the Leafs and Tampa back into the equation at all. The Leafs are only six points back of Boston, but they've played two more games. A lo- you know, I watched, I've been watching the Bruins. Like, Linus Allmark has a 937 save percentage. Like, there's no way that that's going to continue. So... You know, there's going to be a softening in their record at some point. And the question is, can the Leafs keep going what they've been doing the last six weeks? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. He is 18-1-1. and one. Um, Number one, like you mentioned. In- I had that fucking guy in my pool last year because I was like, he's on Boston, good defensive team. He's going to surprise people. And he was really mediocre. And Swayman ended up playing a ton of games. And so it's very frustrating to me to see him play as well as he is this year. Now, I guess the question is, can the Leaf goaltending keep up what it's done so yeah. far? So like those but are... the So if you look at PDO 5-on-5, five five, mm-hmm. uh, I was going to say the only team ahead of the Leafs is Boston, but actually Winnipeg's now also ahead of the Leafs. You know, Boston has what we would call like the most unsustainable record or most unsustainable play at 5-on-5 in the league. They're at 102-5. Like there's going to be... Their shooting percentage is higher than the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Their save percentage is higher than the Leafs. Like they're what they've done is a, is a, I would say more unsustainable than what Toronto's done. Okay, so I'm looking at evolving hockey since November first. This is five on five. The Leafs are third in shooting percentage, and they are second in save percentage. First in save I'm percentage about, yeah. is Boston. I'm talking about the whole the whole season, but yeah, I mean, but yeah. So okay, well, th- you I know can what's the whole season if you want. But yeah, go ahead. You know what's been encouraging about the Leafs is that if you look, their underlying numbers have really come back. Like they had, yep. I remember when we were talking about being concerned about them in the first whatever it was eight to ten games of the season. It was they weren't controlling play, they weren't playing well defensively, they were giving up a lot. They've been really, really. And the, the Tampa game, I think, was I know you said you don't want to talk about it, but that was kind of like the exclamation point that like. They've played some good teams really, really well over the last little while. Since November 1st, they are fourth in expected goals percentage, just mm. like barely behind Boston, Jersey, well, they're s- Carolina. They're up to sixth in in the, over the full season now. Yeah. You and I are looking at two different. So, like, they're at 54.7, which is pretty close to where they were last year. Like, if you get around 55%, that's, that's a pretty dominant team. And all the teams around them... Yeah. New Jersey's first, Carolina, Boston, uh, Pittsburgh, Vegas. Like, it's all the best teams in the league are right there, and that's where you want to be. Yeah, you know what's been impressive, James, is like you look at this last stretch, and it's 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 now like almost two months. They haven't had a lot of games where you're like, man, they were awful. Or like, you know, like when they just like those games that they had, frankly, in, in, in October where you're just like, man, what's what's wrong with them? Like, even when they haven't played particularly well or don't have a lot going like those that new york game even the washington game they're still in it and they're competitive you know what i mean like they just haven't had like any stinkers for a long time now and i think it's just been a level of consistency and like i feel like it kind of gets a little bit 
it falls under the radar just because you know we talk about it and then we move on but like they are doing with this without two of their three yeah. best defensemen maybe their two best defensemen like i don't know it's just an impressive stretch honestly yeah i wouldn't have thought that they would be capable of doing this and i, I i've said this on i think probably the last two podcasts but it speaks to you know, there's the coaching staff has done a good job. The system that they have is working. There's buy-in from all of the forwards that are helping the defensemen. And just, you know, I, I think that they've gotten more from the blue line than I would have thought they could get. You know, Giordano's been better than I expected. Hall's been better than I expected. Sandine's been better than I expected. Little Grin has taken a step from last year. Connor Timmins has come in and played well. Who am I forgetting? I mean, you know, it's it's almost, it's like basically everybody has has stepped up and one of the, I don't know where you wanted to go next with the podcast, but one thing I've been playing around with, and I might write something about it in the next little while, mm-hmm. is I, just kind of like looking at what does their blue line look like going forward? Like what, what what decisions should they make for next season? And I know people get tired of of talking about that stuff in the middle of the year, but it is an interesting thought experiment that with everyone playing so well and even going into the deadline, it's like, what what is the, what, what do you want the future to look like? What, what parts of this do you want to build around? Like it's, it's really, really interesting, actually. And I don't know. I was going to say, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. Like, not having Jake Muzzin actually has been, has led them to this revelation where they can actually see what they have from some of their guys. 100%. Like they can see what they, they can see, you know. And this is part of why I think you and I were both advocating that maybe they should look for some sort of a trade for Jake Muzzin because at some point you got to see what Sandin and Logren can do in top four minutes. And, you know, even with Riley out, it's been a little bit of a blessing that you could see like, hey, like these guys actually can hang in the in the top four, which was a big time question mark coming into the season. Yeah, my concern was obvi- was more injury related. I remember you brought that up and it, it's a good point. Like until you're kind of forced to do it, you don't really have reason to do it. And they had no choice but to basically say like Sandine and Logan are the second pair. They're going to face tough minutes. They're going to play a lot of minutes. They're going to play the kind of minutes that they don't usually play. And it's like, well... Now you kind of learn like that was actually something Kyle Dubas brought up um, after they made like the announcement official with with Jake Muzzin is that they were really curious to see a if those guys were going to elevate their play and then b if that elevation is enough. And I think that's a a really interesting question. Like even just if you want to look beyond this year, I'm looking to this year, obviously, and looking to the playoffs. But I think it's an interesting question. Like. Have they seen enough and will they see enough because there's lots of time before the trade deadline to decide, you know what, we're comfortable with these dudes playing harder minutes or or being in the lineup at playoff time, whereas last year they weren't. I mean, where do you stand on that that whole thing? Like, have you seen enough from this defense, which hasn't had Riley and we'll see with Muzzin, but like to say, you know what, Connor Timmons can play, Sandine, Lilligren, like there's enough here that you don't need to make a trade. Mm, we're getting there. I mean, the the good thing is they don't need to decide that right now, right? right. Like they can. So you, they have them playing so well has bought them the luxury of they can just keep waiting and keep observing. And yeah. you know, I would I want to see it with. When do you think Riley's going to be back? Like early in the new year? Yeah, next month. I mean, he's he's skating now, but he's not. Mm-hmm. Keith keeps mentioning that he's like a ways away. So. The, the timeline I think they gave was what six weeks 
Four him? to six. I mean, I thought initially right. they made it sound like it was going to be more like four, but obviously that's not happening. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was hearing behind the scenes is they thought it was going to be on the lower end of it. But yeah, no, it's it, with those kinds of injuries, it's it's sometimes it's the hitting the timeline. And the thing too is is that there's no rush to get him back. Like it's not like they're desperate that we need this guy. But I would like to see. I think what you want to see is Riley comes back and what what do the pairs look like. And <clears throat> how do Sandine and Logren play if when they're not getting 20, 21 minutes a night? Yeah. I mean, we'll get into that a little bit later. I, I wrote a story about their trade. I don't know what the word is. Strategy, what they should be thinking, what they might be thinking, looking ahead. But let's talk about like some of the more pressing stuff, I guess. There was a trade. Were you surprised, James? Your boy, Dennis Malgan. Why is he my boy? I don't boy? know. He's not your boy. Um, I just was not surprised. I mean, I wrote about him on Monday morning. I was just like, I mean, you, you'd you seen this. Everyone had seen this. It just wasn't working. Like, it, it they tried. Well, what you, he's got, it didn't happen. He's got four points in 27 games, right? Yeah, and he spent, like, meaningful <laughs> like, chunks of the year with Tavares and just didn't produce. What are you going to do? I, I, I like, they trade him for a guy who has, he's playing for one of the best teams in the league. A guy who has one goal and one point in twenty-seven games, and you're kind of like, yeah, that's that trade makes sense. <laughs> like, is there a bigger indictment of a player than you trade him for someone who's really doing nothing, and you're like, yeah, that's probably an upgrade. Yeah, I mean, and and so this this brings me to something actually I did want to talk about right now is that spot is just it's just like a revolving door. What do you think? I've been thinking about a lot about Cal Yarncroft, and I, I'm like on two sides of it. I can kind of see the idea of like, you know what? He's not going to hurt you. He's fast. He's a good four checker. Like defensively, you're safe. And if you have Marner there with Tavares, like maybe that's just fine. Or am I, or am I going too far in the direction of you know what? That's not good enough. Like they need someone who can actually create and and kind of make that line better well yeah my concern with him would be his his ability to set up yeah he doesn't have that he's not like he can shoot the puck fine and he's like you said good defensively and his underlying numbers have rebounded from being really really low yeah like early in the season low I, well, I gave him an F on the quarter season <laughs> report card uh, to the. I told you to, to the consternation of, but he, you know, he's come back from that point, which is good because obviously you've signed the guy for four years. But the problem with playing him on a skill line, especially a skill line with Tavares, who is a, a great shooter, and even Marner's been shooting the puck pretty well. I mean, yep. this, the LA game is the one I always think of. With it's like, boy. Like Marner's got to unleash that a little bit more. You want a guy that can make a make a play and make a pass, and that's what I think why they liked Malgin there, because in theory he's a guy that can get some separation and can make a pass. But it just it never, in theory, it worked. But it, if, strangely enough, Malgin looked better on a checking line where they, there was no offensive responsibilities on him, which is weird for a guy who was you know one of the leading scorers in Switzerland in the last few years. Um, well, that's a reminder that really, there's a separation between leagues. But yeah, continue. Yeah. For sure, yeah. Um, it yeah, it just seemed. I, I don't know. Like, so then you look at stylistically, and it's like, well, maybe it should be Kerfoot, who's a guy who like seems to want to pass in every yeah. circumstance, and that doesn't seem to work either. So 
there's not really anyone else down the lineup that has a skill set that makes sense there. And I said this in training camp, and I wonder if they should look at it again. Like, I wonder if you try like an Ingval there, or but even Ingval hasn't really played that well. So, well, James, why do you think? I, let I me ask you this: like, this is something like if I could sit down across the table and and just have, like have a conversation with Sheldon Keith, like I would like to kind of converse about. But why do you think? Do you have any? problem with just pairing skill guys with skill guys because like coaches around the league you've seen coaches in toronto they are okay with having more of like a blue collar element with guys like Tavares and, and marner mm-hmm. and i and like i i look at zach aston reese and i'm thinking like man he's like he's a good four checker he's physical he's good down low like why wouldn't he be just like an okay fit with Tavares and marner and like that's something that we never see like he mostly prefers to put more finesse well, types with finesse types like do you think there's anything to that i wonder if the reason my um, this is what i think the reason is i think the reason is the way the leafs are constructed with with so much of their offense in those top two lines is that whoever's going to play with those guys is going to play a lot so like yeah, do you want zach true. aston reese do you want zach aston aston reese to play like Marner's going to play 21 minutes every night. Do you and, and a lot of that at even strength? Do you want Zach Aston Reese potentially on the ice for 15 minutes at even strength? But I guess James, like you if can you, you can rotate guys in there. You like could. I mean, I'm looking at that game that they played against Tampa. I think Yarncroft played like 12 minutes. What did he? Yeah, he played 12:50, so he played 13 minutes. So like I don't know. Like maybe maybe it's just like again, these are not. I I guess with this amounts to is these are just basically stop gaps like these aren't solutions they don't have they don't have an internal solution it's one thing in the off season that they didn't address yeah really at all and like i remember we were saying last year like they gotta stop playing kerfoot with Tavares and yeah at at the time it was Tavares and nylander it's like this isn't working this isn't working this isn't working going to the playoffs it doesn't really work and they're like well in the offseason they can't come back again with that and and then you know like reluctantly this year they went back to it again and it it wasn't working again so you know they i think you just got to try some guys there i mean they tried everyone like i guess to your point you, you, i yeah. guess you could try engvall you know it's funny james what, like i was looking through my notes what about yeah i i have another name for sure. you I, I know he's mostly i know he's mostly played center what about holmberg no could he play on the wing there i don't think so that's again like you're saying like playing Aston Reese too much. That's I know. You, I you like know it's I interesting, like James. Though. I, I like, like him he a lot makes for sure. Smart plays with the puck, like over and over and over again. You know who's a guy who I, I'm sure actually I'm, I know that they wanted to try there the first day of camp. You know who played with Tavares and Marner? Do you remember? I do. I, I Tell know me. it was Adam Godet. It was Adam Godet, and then he got hurt, and then he might have got an opportunity now, but then he got hurt again, and so like. He's just kind of out of the mix. What's interesting because he's more of a shooter. Like he's not a real passer either. No. So I wonder what they saw that they thought. I, at this point, I would try some different guys there. I would try Engvall there. I would try Yarncroc there. I would it, it, it just humor me for a minute. Sure. If they decided to try try Holmberg there, ten minutes a game, is there someone else they could? I guess they could play Kerfoot at center instead. Yeah, the, the thing is, down like, they're the, starting the they're starting to get a little bit of traction with that Kerfoot Engvall camp line that I mm-hmm. kind of think they'll probably keep it. Like, to your point, like, maybe you just keep trying different things. It feels like a little bit less essential when Marner's there. Like, the line can kind of 
yes. survive more just because he's such a that's why great- he, that's why they need to do it in part yeah like that's why they that's why they need Marner with Tavares because he needs someone else to play with yeah and and Tavares not is that, not that he doesn't have someone to play with with Neil no, but, but it's it just different. seems like his chemistry with Marner is different. well and Marner is just like a significantly better defensive player like he can kind of cover up for Tavares a little bit that way and Tavares has kind of slowed down a little bit after a hot start mm-hmm. um but to that point that you made earlier so this is since from the 2020-2021 season, so that was that short year, to now, five-on-five five primary assists, Cal Yarncroft has six, which ranks he's just, 596th in the He's league. just not a passer. No. You can see it. He's just, he's, so, I don't think they signed him thinking he was going to play there either, right? I think it was... Part of the the equation that maybe he could, I, it kind of felt like he they just thought he could be another Kerfoot, like he could just be someone who could kind of play right. anywhere. But like the downside of guys like that is like they're kind of not perfect for one spot, if that makes any sense. Like Kerfoot, we've seen, like yeah, like it's nice that he can move around, but he's not really like he's not perfectly built to play on a checking like defensive third line in some ways. This, even though like this is yeah. This is like a non sequitur. It doesn't, but like, you know, I was, like I said, I was looking at kind of the cap implications for the team going forward. And like, it, it seems like the guys that are UFA that aren't going to be back is Kerfoot and Engvall, right? And like, that's going to free up them up some salary room to do something different up front. So I wonder if, you know, and we're, I know we're going to talk about this later in the show. So I apologize for stealing some of the thunder, but. If they do acquire a forward in a trade before the deadline, if you look for someone that has some term, because they might potentially have a little bit of salary room to to get someone that they can keep beyond this season. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean the thing with with Kerfoot is like you could they could bring him back. It's just not going to be for. He's not going to be back. I don't. I can't say that for sure. I mean, like if he's willing to take, I don't know, two million. But again, that's that's too far down the line. Um. We'll get to the, we'll get back to that trade conversation. I do want to. Do you have any thoughts about Dryden Hunt? Like I don't. I, I I think the bottom of their lineup needs a little bit more edge. And it's funny, like the guy who is like now completely forgotten, and understandably for sure. Like Nicolas Nicolas Abe Kubel, like they literally signed first day of free agency. I know we talked about this a while back, but like he was supposed to kind of bring them a little bit of that edginess and physicality at the bottom of the lineup. He and was terrible. He though. was bad. He, was, he played six games he was and he disappeared. Terrible. Like, he was waved and he was gone. But now you, it feels like they're short you know what, that guy. Do you know what Abe Kubel's expected goals percentage was in six games? I think it was like 28% if I recall. It was 31. 31. Like it was like, But again, James, like that we it, went over that. It was six games. It was not Small, small sample. He just looked like he didn't. He looked like he didn't understand how to play in the NHL. Like he was like going in the wrong direction all the time. It felt like. But anyway, maybe maybe Dryden Hunt can kind of give them some energy in that spot. Like I still don't. Well, yeah. Go ahead. I'm on board with as many guys from BC as possible. (laughs) Like I think that they should. You know, like forget this like Sue thing. Like just get all these BC guys in there. I'm not surprised he has an edge. He's from Cranbrook. That's like. that's that's where you want to find some uh, some good checking forwards for sure. Uh, I'm just looking up. Wow, how about this, James? This is funny. I don't know what this means, but I just looked up Nicholas Abe Kubel's numbers in Washington. Number one on the team in expected goals, sixty <laughs> percent. He played. He's played only eight games, but anyway. 
Uh, well, and it, I've been watching Washington more because, you know, the Ovechkin goal pursuit, and obviously it's a big story for The Athletic, and Tarek, our, our writer in Washington, is is covering it really well, and I know he's on his way to, to Ottawa for the their game tomorrow. Um, it feels like Abe Kubel's, like, playing. Like, he, he, like Ovechkin will score a goal, and Abe Kubel's out there, like, <laughs> celebrating, and it's like, oh, uh, yeah, there's that guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, he's not playing much. Um Next on my list, I wanted us to talk about Connor Timmins. What have you seen from okay. Connor Timmins so far? He is not from BC. Sorry. <laughs> I just, I don't know that I've just never seen the Leafs with this many BC players like Kerfoot, Riley. There's, Do you think they have too many? They need to get rid of some? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. I think this podcast needs more people from BC on it as well. So. We get uh, Cam Sharon. We're going to have to have on as a guest. You sound like so, you're like we, anti Don Cherry. Like, remember we used to rail against the lack of they need more Toronto players. Like, really? Why? I don't know. It's just I'm just being I'm just being stupid. Um, <laughs> well, then maybe I'm not being stupid. Maybe I'm just being the way I always yeah, am. Go ahead, Tim Timmons. Like. How it's the same thing with the bunting thing. How can the Coyotes look at a guy like that and be like, "Yeah, can't, can't, can't find any ice time for that guy"? I mean, like, that's what? a good question. Like one of my thoughts after the trade is like, "What? Like this guy can't play for the Coyotes?" But then, like to your point, they didn't think. Well, bunting I said could when play. they got him, you said you said that, and I said, "Yeah, but they said that about bunting too." Yeah, maybe we shouldn't just. Maybe we should just not trust Arizona. <laughs> maybe who. <laughs> Whoever Player the Coyotes aren't playing, they should try and get those guys. Like, if Arizona ever puts anyone on waivers, just claim them. Just to, I mean, even Lubushkin, I, I guess, if you want to go back to last year. Yeah, although I can see why yeah, he was more he's of limited. a fringe guy. But Timmons, the, the big thing with Timmons has been health, really. Like, you talk, I've talked to our Colorado writer, Peter, and like it's like, it just they just weren't sure if he could be healthy or not. Yeah. It wasn't that... You go back a few years ago, and they were talking about Timmons as being like a star prospect for them. Like it, you know, he was so highly regarded, and you can see why. And not the best skater in the world. Like he's not Kale McCarr out there, but he's smart, and he he, he sees the ice really, really well. I like that he he just some of the passes he makes are just really, really smart. Yeah, isn't that like that's what I've really noticed about him? He can he can really pass the puck. Like he puts in really good spots. He's got like this really soft touch. And to your point, like he's James, strong, I was wrong too. You can see like he's not a small guy, and like he just gets a lot on. I don't know. He, someone with vision like that, it's almost like. Uh, Correct me if you think this is a stupid comparison. It's almost like there's like a little bit of like maybe a Cody Franzen in there. Yeah, I like that. That's like, good. Yeah. Big guy, can yeah. move the puck. I mean, that, that that was one of the things I was curious about. So I asked him, like, who who did you kind of like look up to growing up? Because sometimes, like, you can kind of get a sense for how yes someone wants to play based on who who they liked. And he said Duncan Keith, and I was like, yeah, well, like he's not Duncan Keith, but like you can see, like Duncan Keith, he doesn't have the skill. Obvi- yeah, yeah, but like Duncan Keith could obviously really move the puck. Um, but to your point, like I was looking back at some of the stuff from the 2017 draft, and like he was the first pick of the second round, and. Some of the stuff that that came out, I think they took Kale McCarr that year, and it's like they may have their future top pair, you know, like or they, they yes. he's the future of their defense. Like you forget how how much of a prospect he really was, for sure. And even after that draft year, like he progressed to the point where like like he was moving up in terms of how they're both right shots. So I don't think yes. they would be on the top pair together. Like that would be <laughs> that would be weird. Um, that that 
So, but but they were like thought like there's two pillars to their top four, and and that was when they got Kale McCarr. That was when Colorado was like really bottoming out and rebuilding, and and they have a good staff there. Like they draft well, and they could see that that Timmons was in his in his draft year. He went to the he fell to the second round, but in the Sioux, he had 61 points, which for a defenseman in in your draft eligible year is pretty impressive. Yeah, and what what, what I think is is like you dig a little deeper, and it's like well, like he literally only turned 24 in September. Uh, he's controllable. He has no arbitration rights after this year. And it's like you start... Oh, he doesn't? No. Interesting. Yeah. like, And so you start looking ahead. Just because he's played he's so few played games. He's played so right? few games. Like he's He had played 41 before he got to Leafs. Yeah, 48 now. Um, and like you start to look ahead, James, and like to your point, like I know you've been kind of doing some gazing into the future and it's like not that long from now, like Muzzin, Brody, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with Brody. Like he looks like he could play forever. Giordano well, looks. Justin Hall's Justin Hall's is deals up, up after this right? year. This year, yeah. And like you look at the way Hall's played, and it's like yeah, you probably want to think about bringing him back. But then it's yeah. you know if you've got Timmins and, and Riley signed and and Sandine and Lilgren are on those contracts that look amazing for next year. Uh, Brody signed for next year. Giordano signed for next year. It's like it's getting pretty crowded there, right? So yeah. all of a sudden, it's like, do you want to? Well, that just like just top of mind, James. No, we can like that. Maybe leads you to think like if you're in that management team, like do we exchange one of these defensemen for some help up front? Mm. And so let's have that conversation Mm. now because we we're going to take a lot of questions in the pod bag. Um, I I initially thought right when they lost Jake Muslin, like there is no way that they can't replace him. Like if you're going to keep talking, and, and I believe this about how important Jake Muzzin and how unique he is and like what he does. We saw what he did in the playoffs last year against Tampa. He was excellent. Really he played well. Yeah, really he hard well, minutes. Yeah. That's why they brought him back. I mean, that's I, I was yeah. like, because I asked around, like, did you ever think about getting rid of him? They're like, no way, not with how he played in the playoffs. Well, and, and, so. and there was some risk to that, which we discussed in the summer. But it's like, so if that guy is so important, like how can you not then try to replace him if you lose him? And yet you watch over this last stretch and it's like, well... I don't know, like some of these other guys have stepped up. Maybe they can handle more. I'm still not there yet. I still think I would try to get someone else. Well, where are you put at? Put it this way, Jonas. If if Giordano, Hall, Sandine, Lilgren, and Timmons are all better than you expected, that's pretty good. Like you're you're you there's a lot there that I think where people there Because obviously, James, let me add let me just add before you you you, you opine on this is the other consideration is like, should your priority be what we talked about before, rounding out the top six? Well, and I, I liked in your piece, you said that it's probably going to be hard to add a defenseman that's better than the guys they've got. Like that, I, I, I don't think that the defense is perfect, but in any other, you got to take into cap considerations. You got to take into consideration what you have to give up to get people. Like it's not, you can't just like add everything you want without giving things up. Yes. And adding a defenseman is going to be incredibly expensive. Like we saw that at the deadline last year. Like it's going to, you have to give up a first round pick for a, like a defensive defenseman that can play 20 minutes. Like it, you're going to have to give up a lot. And is it worth it if you have six that you feel pretty good about? Seven, but do, you know, with, with everyone healthy. Yeah. I, I guess it's just like what we, we've talked about before. It's like the playoffs are just different and, and yeah, one stylistically that's that's what and, i was going to say one it's of the like, things I w- it's not yeah. that they don't have good defensemen yes. it's like do they do they have the right do they have the size do they do they have physicality do they have you know are they going to get pushed around are they going to 
Are teams going to get to the front of their net? Or can you really have a pairing in your top four that's Sandine and Logren in, in the first round of the playoffs against Tampa or Boston? I don't think so. And now maybe the thing is, like, maybe you say, well, you have Giordano and Hall. And it's like, can you, can you, how much can you really stretch Giordano in the playoffs? And, and how much can you stretch Hall? Like, those are, I mean, it was, it was Muzzin and Brody last year primarily and those are your two best defenders and they obviously don't have muzzin i don't know like i think it's a really hard question for them to to figure out because to your point defensemen are expensive you know also expensive james forwards like i was looking through some of the trades for forwards they don't come cheap either um Mm. clearly i i think but there's going to be more available though right like yes i guess that's a good point you're looking at like the a-listers like i i think like if the the thing that's defensemen like the b-list defensemen are expensive yes whereas like the i think i think like the b-list forwards not that you want to be on b-list but you just might end up there and the other question too jonas and this is looking far ahead is are the leafs going to be able to trade their first round pick like are they going to feel comfortable doing that with a front office you don't know if he's going to be back with how many first round picks they've traded in the past there's some thought out there in the league that they might not be able to. They might not want to trade their first round pick, and then well, then what do you have to trade? Like, well, it's not like your your prospect base is loaded. So, I think that this is going to have to be a situation where ownership's just going to have to like get on board with the first round pick is 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 getting shipped out this year. Well, I mean, it's, it's too it's, important of a year to not to not trade. Yes, it. and 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 to me, it it just doesn't seem right or smart if you're going to say to your GM, we're we're going to wait until the playoffs to decide what your future is then you have to let that gm have everything cook. at his yeah exactly Ex- cook exactly <laughs> cook exactly I w- so i was gonna so this question of the defense jonas and is it good enough to be in the playoffs is one that is polarizing the fan base on social media i don't know if you picked i up know on that, because like, i've talked to dom about it and he is is on the other side where he says they have more than enough they don't need yeah but so i think like that is ignoring stats, analytics piece of the fan base like there's there's always this divide between like i don't know if you want to call it new school and old school or but like i can really see it on social media where it's like why do they need a defenseman look how good the defense is playing look how many good defensemen they have and i keep going back and forth i'm like yeah that makes sense and i watch them and they play really well and and there's always just this like yeah but in your mind is like is it it does the stylistic piece of it the thing that dom wrote about last year about the heavy hockey and how the playoffs are different than the regular season, which if people didn't read that story, I, I highly encourage you go seek it out. Uh, search Dom's name. You'll have to Google how to spell his last name because I can't tell you. There's a lot of Zeds in there. Google Dom's name and heavy hockey and, and the playoffs. It's a great, great story. It's probably the best story that Dom's written for us since in the five or six years he's been writing for us. And it just, it pointed out that stylistically the playoffs are different and different kinds of players succeed in the playoffs. And a hundred percent that the defense looks fantastic right now and the Leafs should feel good about that. But I I know for a fact that in the front office they're having the same debate. Yes. And they they they, they be, I know that they are like aware of this and believe this. Like the playoffs are like you just said, and like Dom wrote, they're just different. Like they're not the same. Like it's And they're worried about it. Yeah. So for people to go on Twitter and just be totally dismissive of the idea that they need a defenseman, the team, the front office feels like I mean, well, like I said, they've got the luxury of time. They can watch this group for another five or six weeks. Maybe they'll change their mind. But my understanding is that the Leafs feel like they need something different there. Yeah, and then it, it gets to an interesting question. It's like, well, okay, well, 
who's coming out, like who's playing with who. But I guess like those are all things you solve and those are good problems to have. Like you saw what happened last year is they trade for Mark Giordano. Sandine is injured at the time. Justin Hall is still kind of he's he's getting his thing his game together, but come the playoffs, Sandine isn't healthy. Hall is a healthy scratch. Two games go by and they decide, you know what? It's exactly what you're talking about. We need we need something different. So we're gonna scratch Lilligren and put Hall in and Hall plays well with Giordano and Yeah. Anyway. It's interesting. Like I think it's a fascinating like roster building question because like you almost have to have like these two different defenses like well let me ask you this i I know we we need to take a break here we're we're past due for one let me ask you that and this is probably too big of a question to ask with how little time we have to discuss it right in this window um it has there been a team that has won the cup with a blue line that kind of looks like what the leafs blue line looks like now well the one that immediately comes to mind is pittsburgh right like you think of when they won the cup with literally Ron Hainsey on their top pair that one year when Crystal Tang yeah. was hurt. But like that feels... Dumoulin playing big minutes. Well, I'll just read you some of the cup winners and you tell me. Colorado, no. Tampa, no. Tampa, no. St. Louis, no. Washington? No. They had, sort Washington of, has size. They're bigger, like, yeah. So then you get to like, Pittsburgh. And then it's like Chicago, LA, and it's like, not really. I mean... Think of, I guess, like, yeah. I'm thinking of those Chicago teams. Like, they had Trevor Daly, they had Duncan Keith, they had Brent Seabrook. Like, Brent Seabrook, Seabrook. and Keith were just, like, this monster top pair. Like, James, like, I've mm-hmm. just been watching some of these other, like, contenders. And, like, I look at Tampa and I look at their defense. And, obviously, their defense took a hit. They lost McDonough. But, like, the top of their defense is still just better than the Leafs. I think the Boston's top of their defense is better than the Leafs. Um, so... I guess Pittsburgh is a fair comparison, just in terms of you're talking about like the overall caliber of the blue line, right? Like, uh, I'm I mean, also no, I'm also have, considering just like the stylistic look of it, right? Like those Pittsburgh right. teams are probably the closest. When you think, but but their blue line was like had some grit to it, right? Like it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, here I can pull up their roster from that year. If you wanna, Dumoulin played a, a whole lot with that. The year he, that he's Latang, a big dude, yeah. right? Like he's not small. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so some of their D James from that year, Dumoulin, I, I think they had Trevor Daly on that team. Did they not that year? Yeah. Dumoulin. Actually they did daily daily. Ian Cole is kind of like a sneaky. Right. Right. Yeah. Like they, they, they had like some hard nose. And I think that that's, if the Leafs do add on the blue line before the deadline, they're going to try and add someone sort of like that, even if it's a depth guy. But that's the thing, James. Like, if it's going to be a depth guy, then I don't know what the point is because if it's a depth guy, I don't think you're playing him ahead of, like, well, just a PK and like if you're yeah, like a I guy mean, we've fair. talked about in the past who I like. But like, if you're trading for Justin Braun, like, I just don't know unless like your your idea is you know what we're going to play Justin Braun seventeen minutes and play him with Riley. But then like again, like you're knocking one of those guys out of the lineup, and I just don't know if that makes sense. So. It's interesting what Tampa does, like watching that they yes. had Hedman playing with that that Perpix, and like you just get like a he, he can he's so good he can just like carry. Yeah, remember they did that with Jan Ruda forever, right? Like they would just yeah they'd always put like just some guys with him and be like go <laughs> carry them. Yeah. Anyway, all right, Jonas, we're over time here. We need a break. Break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, James, was that a good way to take a break? Probably not. Sorry. It was it was elegant. Um, before we get to the pod, back, a couple of things I wanted to run by you. Actually, just one. I don't know that we need to spend that much time on the second one. What do you make of this five forward power play? I think it makes sense. I think given the personnel that they have, I mean, it's, you can you can see why not just play Giordano oh. there though? Yeah. I guess I think that's inevitably what's going to happen here. Um, obviously, when Riley comes back, he'll just step right in, step right in. Um, but remember, like, there's been this kind of like undercurrent of like. Should Riley be the quarterback of power play one or should it mm. be Rasmus Sandin? And like, I don't know that I, I feel like because they didn't score that it's an indictment on Sandin, but obviously there is something like Riley, Marner, well, Tavares, Neander, Matthews have just spent so much time together as that unit. I think the thing that Riley gives the power play is like, he's a really good breakout option because of the way he skates and the way he can drive the zone entry. And yeah. And and Sandine doesn't have that, so I think that that's another. I'd have to. I haven't looked at like at the power play data that closely, but I did I James. That well, I guess you I. Looked at the zone I mean, entry no, we don't data on the power play with Sandine versus I Riley. <laughs> what did you look at? Did you look at like just just like their underlying chance, numbers and generation? All that stuff, yeah. Well, well, what like so? What's like chances per sixty? The, the Sandine numbers are the, significantly better. Not sig- I shouldn't say. Well, no. some of them are significantly Well, once better. they're in zone, I really like the way Sandine like moves the puck, and he Sandine is really good at getting the shot through, which Riley has never figured out. Yeah, he's also just a reluctant shooter. Um, yeah, but it, like I, I, I think it's interesting that they're they're trying these things. Um, bunting is obviously good around the net. What, do you do you want to spend two seconds on that incident? Well, I just was saying to you during the game, it's interesting that now there are these referees and linesmen in the league and more of them. And people, correct me if I'm wrong listening, I think that the NHL over the last five to seven years has started looking for former minor league players to convert into linesmen and officials. And Dan Kelly is one of those, one example of those. Um, there was the famous, infamous hit that he put on Andreas Janssen. Remember when Andreas Janssen was concussed in the playoffs with the Marlins? I do. And Dan Dan Kelly was the player that laid him out, and it's just interesting that there's this like history between you. If you get former AHL players to be your referees and your linesmen, there's potential for them to. I don't know. It's like they're closer to the battle, and I think it probably in some ways that's good, and in some ways, 
I would think that having a player's mentality is a lot different than having an official's mentality. And I'm sure that's like a big adjustment for someone to go from one to being the other and being on the other side. Yeah, it's a really good point. I would imagine bunting is not the easiest guy to officiate. Like he's just nonstop. Yeah. Well, he's all like, we don't hear what he's saying out there, but he's, he's, didn't you write about him being a rat or whatever? Yeah. Or a pest? Like he's just, he's just annoying. He's annoying. If you're an official and your job is to like keep the game under control and manage things, having to watch him run around and say what he, you absolutely love having him on your team. He's, he's been a fantastic pickup for the Leafs. I'm not trying to disparage him, but I just think that I can see how if you're on the law and order side of the game, you're like, like, please just like stop it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something Sheldon Keefe has, has brought up like that. After that first season, as as NHL officials became more familiar with him, they don't call, they don't call as much. Yeah, he still draws no. a lot, but but they there are some calls that they don't give him, which are pro- which have probably been penalties. And yeah, anyway. Uh, the only other thing I I did sort of want to discuss with you, but like it's not that interesting, so I'm really selling it. I kind of like that Camp Engvall Kerfoot line, but it, it kind of feels like that sh- that should be like a fourth line. Like I just look at the bottom of their lineup and I I wonder like are they going to get anything offensively from that those groups in a playoff series or is that just like well, nothing? I mean, and that's the thing that you acquire a Dryden Hunt. It's like it's like another guy that can't score that can't produce offense. So and like I like Holmberg and but. He needs better players to play with if you want that line to produce as well. And I don't know. I mean, they need more from Engvall. They need more from Kerfoot. Both those guys just haven't. They need more from Yarncrock. They need one of those guys to like I, coming into the year. We would have said like you probably could get maybe you're going to get twelve to fifteen goals from from Engvall, from Kerfoot, from Yarncrock, and none of them are look like they're going to be anywhere close. You to know that. what's funny about that though, James? Like I was looking at these numbers not that long ago. Engvall's on pace, and I just looked again for 16 goals. He's got six. Yeah. I guess it would be a I little mean, bit lower. Yeah. He's, he's played in 30. He's missed two. But yeah, like he's he doesn't feel like a threat in the way he did in the second half last year. And, no. And so, uh, but so to your point, like maybe if you trade for someone who can play in the top six, suddenly you can move Yarncroc down. And it's like if you're if you had a line, let's say, of Engvall – Holmberg, Yonkrock, that's a line that might yes. be able to get you the odd goal in a playoff well, series. I, I liked all the Swedes playing together. It looked like they had like a little bit of chemistry or something out there. Swedistry? Huh? Sweet. Uh, I don't think that worked for you, but I, I appreciate <laughs> the effort. Uh, all right. Let's take a, a quick break and then let's come back and do the pod bag. Okay, James, it is pod bag time. It's almost the holidays. Everybody's shopping. There's lots of good spots locally to do your shopping. Do you go to the Christmas market and distillery district at all? Is that your thing? Oh, my. No. That Did you go? No. We're, we we're talking about going, but I have not been yet. It, it, the last time I went, it was a complete gong show. Like It was, it was ridiculous. So it was... Uh, if if I could go and it not be that busy, I would love to go. But the last time we went, it was like it was it was like a super spreader event. <laughs> I know it's outside, but like there's just like so many people. Yeah, it's hard. You know, it was too hard to park and it hard to get in and out of there. Hard to like get food. So I noticed James like too. But like it, there there were a lot of like 
just walking like downtown, there are a lot of like little pop-up holiday markets. Like you almost, it's nice to go there, mm-hmm. but like you can kind of just go anywhere. Anyway. I'm not a big like knickknack market <laughs> That's surprising. Person. I would have pictured you. Is it? No, it's not at all. I I hate, in general, I hate shopping. I hate buying things. Like I, I just, I'm terrible at it and I don't like doing it. I, this whole like wave of buying things online has been great for me because it's just like I just like click something and the problem is I'm such a weird size that I can't buy like clothes and shoes and stuff online. But so you're supposed to be buying for I, other people, right? No, I know, but like, are you a good gift in giver? general? Yeah, I'm like I'm generous. <laughs> I mean, with the kid, with with the with the kid, I know the kids. It's like the Christmas is all about the kids, right? So it's you know, and, and they're. You know what's funny when the kids are little? It's like, oh, we gotta, you gotta write your letter to Santa. Yeah, that'll be fun. And it's like, really, what you want them to do is just put in their letter to Santa what they want, and then you just go buy it. And like, there, now I'm done. Yeah, that is good. Both my kids, they like put a list of like what they want, and it's like, we bought it, and it's like, all right, that was easy. All right, pod bag. What do you got? Uh, let's start here. James wants to know how do you think Matt Murray has changed his style this year. Is he playing higher or lower or wider? <laughs> Do you have any information regarding Curtis Sanford's style and what he's, you know, what he's bringing to the uh, Curtis Sanford's the new goalie coach? You got? Do you have any? I you've been around the team way more than I have this year. Do you have any thoughts on what's happening with Murray and uh, the relationship with San, Sanford? I cannot comment on this at the moment. As you know, there are things in the works. That's all I can say. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's a. Uh, yeah, there's a we have a great piece brewing. So stay tuned. Okay. Well, so yeah, stay tuned for the answer to that question. And we appreciate the question. Um uh, I have heard from elsewhere that Matt Murray was working on changing his style when he was in Ottawa because his last year in Pittsburgh obviously went so poorly. So I think what you're seeing this year is the continuation of that evolution for him. And I can confirm that clearly that is confirmed. Clearly clearly yeah, well that's I wasn't. I wasn't just making it up. I told you I, clearly. Well, no, I'm just I, kidding. I've, Go ahead. I've heard, I've heard that. I've heard that from elsewhere. Clearly, what whatever evolution he's going through has has worked. So, um, okay. Let's let's the, the other question. There's a lot of questions about the trade deadline. Obviously, we've talked about it a, a little bit on the show already. Mm-hmm. But uh, Lockie said wants to know uh, if the Leafs were going to target a top six forward or a left wing to properly slot under the second line. Who are some realistic targets around the league? Is there, I mean, the some of the obvious ones would be, uh, well, I'll, I'll let you jump in with. I'm too, <laughs> I'll be honest, James, like I've started, I started looking a few weeks ago. I'm too early in that process to kind of name names. Like I've just started watching more and looking at stuff, but I don't, like besides some of the obvious guys, like I'm trying to look a little bit deeper because obviously the Leafs are going to be looking a lot of, a lot deeper, well, like they obviously have an extensive staff, but like some of the names that are out there, I think are interesting, don't you? Like, I could see lots of fits with some of the guys that are openly available. Well, some of some of the big names you think of them on the roster, and it's like, boy, they would they like Horvat would look great on this team. O'Reilly would look great on this team. I think Jonathan Taves would look good. I mean, but all those guys are natural centers. So the question is, would you want to put them at at left wing? Or would you want to move Tavares to left wing? Like I, I don't think that's a, that. <laughs> I mean, either or, James. Like I, I think if you can get a good player like that, get them. Yes, like, don't I, I, to- I totally it. agree. 
I totally agree. I think the problem with someone like Horvat is that the team that acquires him is going to be resigning him to a big long contract, and the Leafs aren't going to be able to accommodate how big that contract's going to be, and the asking price is going to be really high, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and it may be one of those kind of second tier options. And I, I don't have well, the list in front of me, but it's something we're going to have to put together. And do you have a name? Well, no. Let me ask you. Like, so let's say you are Kyle Dubas, and I am. Canucks management, Patrick Alvin. What's your offer? Like, make me an offer for Bo Horvat. Like, what just on the fly? It would be like a first round pick mm-hmm. and one of the prospects that I felt like was, and I know the Leafs don't have like a deep stable, but I wouldn't want to give up Nyes. Okay. I, I wouldn't want to give up Lilgren. Okay, well that's that's the guy I was gonna uh, ask you. So what if what if I said to you first and Lilgren and like we can do it? No, I are you are you going to be able to re-sign Horvat though? No. no, right. So just for a rental, you're giving up Lilgren and a first. I wouldn't That's, do it. Yeah. No. Okay. What if there's no first and it's Lilgren and I don't know whatever else uh, for a rental? It feels like, but like, geez. I mean, it makes sense for Vancouver. I mean, Vancouver should do that. Like the right side of their defense is. I, I watch a lot of the Canucks too, and it's like, boy, what a. What a brutal year for them. Well, from looking... And this, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It's been a long time coming for that organization, too. Like, it's... They they left Benning in charge for so long, he made a complete mess. Like, and the new management group hasn't really covered themselves in glory with what they've done there. No, they have not. They need a big trade here. They need a bunch of big trades here to try and salvage and show that they know what they're doing. Well, if this is a... I don't know if this is a perfect comparison just because this guy was older, but when Philly traded Claude Giroux... They got a first, a third, and Owen Tippett, who's a good, mm-hmm. like who was interesting a young player. Pick. Yeah, so yeah. basically two firsts. I mean, he was a first in twenty seventeen, but he's only twenty three. So that that yeah, kind of gives you an idea. So like, it would be a first, a good young player, or an interesting young player, and another pick, and another. Pick. I would do that yeah. for some for for Horvat. I don't know who that young player is. Like. I mentioned like what what value does Nick Robertson have now? I don't know. I don't think he has a ton yeah. to be honest. Like I don't think like he hasn't produced. He's small. He's not like like there's just and he's gotten hurt a lot. Other teams aren't like yeah. I got to get this guy. <laughs> yeah, like he's gonna have to show he can do it in the NHL before other teams get excited about Nick Robertson. Mm-hmm. So like I don't think his trade value is. It probably even just makes sense to keep him because you're not. I may, I may be wrong. Maybe there's one team out there that, that likes them. Yeah, like, so James, like, I was watching Anaheim not that long ago, and I was like, any of these guys, like, could they help? Like, Jakob Silverberg hasn't, he's kind of really fallen off, and he's got another year. I liked him a couple years Me ago. Me too. I don't know what, your boy. I don't know what's, I don't know if it's been injuries or what. This is actually your boy. I know you've liked him for a long time. Like, I looked at Adam Henrique, and it's like, oh, I, I don't think he gives you enough. Like, he's a center, and like, he's got another year. He's pricey. Like, I don't think he's, Got enough well, I think to that's really. Half, that's one where it was you need half retention. Yeah, and like I don't. I like Henrique because yeah. good defensively can play wing or center. Yeah, veteran. So like he crossed my mind, but like mm. if you're getting him, he makes what five point two, five point so half. Yeah, right. So even at half, he's expensive. Yeah, it's another year. Like anyway, I'm yeah. I'm still, and in, he's getting older. Too. Yes, he he can look older. He makes five point eight. Yeah, it was quite a contract. They signed some not good contracts there. That was a five year deal feel, in twenty eighteen. 
I feel bad for Dallas Hakins. It's like you, I've watched. I, I have some of those guys that have, in my I have Zegris in my pool, so I watch them sometimes. It's like, boy, there's not a lot here to work with. I mean, have you seen some of their go- the goalies that they've been playing lately? It's like, who is that? Who is Lucas, Lucas Dostal? Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess he's like the comparable. Like he's their Eric Shogren, basically. Yeah. There's been lots of goalies. It's like, who's this guy? And they come in and they play well. Like, who's that guy that Buffalo's been playing? The Finnish. Yeah. I got, I don't. I can't even. I can't pronounce his name. Um. Ukapekalukan. All right. Yeah. Oh, you do. You you nailed it. Yeah, pretty good. Nice. Um. Zach wants to add another layer to this debate, and he says, "Shouldn't the real debate?" not be between a defense or a forward? Shouldn't it be between, should they add a third-line center or a second-line left wing? I lean third-line center, but it depends on the quality of the player. I mean, I think what, what Zach's getting at is that... They have a third-line center. Like, the problem... Yeah, the but... problem... But it's what we were talking about, though. There's no offense from those bottom two lines. So, like, do you want to add a better player there to, like, give you some more juice? Yeah, I just don't know. I don't know if no matter... I mean, I shouldn't say no matter, but, like... Are you really going to get that much out of a line that has Engvall, Kerfoot, and whoever in the middle? Like, I, I just well, don't if it's know. A, if it's like if you put Ryan O'Reilly there, it's like well, all of a sudden you've got like yeah, Ryan O'Reilly offensively is has fallen off a bit this year. Like, I don't know that he's I don't know, I don't know that he's powering off it. Like maybe if that's Bo Horvat, like but like I don't know. I don't know, James. Well, I'm, I'm not there. It's kind of a waste to put Bo Horvat on Right. The the, exactly. Line. Well, it feels like kind of a waste to put Ryan O'Reilly on your third line. Yeah. It's just like they, the, the the bottom of their lineup, this is where like you kind of feel the attrition of some of the guys that they've lost. It's like you lose Mikheyev, you lose Hyman, like you lose some of these guys over the years and suddenly like the bottom of your lineup is just like a lot of like question marks and just gets a little thinner. Uh... Next question? Sure. Uh, Jay Alex asks, uh, assuming Muzzin is out for the year and everyone else is healthy, how much room under the cap do the Leafs have? This is a good question because for your story, you asked me that question and you're trying to figure it out. And I was you're like, you're the expert. I don't know. Let me, let me look. It's, it's complicated because of the LTIR rules, but when, so right now, if you go to cap friendly, it says they have 7 million in cap space, but that's really misleading because Riley's on LTIR and Riley's money's not counting. If Riley comes back, what they need to do is like demote a bunch of the guys, a bunch of their fringe guys and get back down to a 21 or a 20 man roster to get to a 20 man roster. They would probably have to waive Connor Timmons, which obviously is not going to happen given the way that he's playing. So you're probably looking at a 21 man roster. Um, I, I think the best answer to this is they have between 3.6 and five ish million is about, is about the cap space they're looking at. So it's not nothing. They don't have all of the Muzzin money because they've spent some of that on, you know, Lilgren coming back from his injury early in the year and things, but they've got, they've got a pretty good chunk of money. Now that money doesn't accrue. It doesn't grow over the course of the season because, because they're in LTIR. So they would have to, if they need more than that to accommodate, like if, if they're getting a Ryan O'Reilly or a Bo Horvath or one of these bigger contracts, they're going to have to trade someone out to, or or do a double retention or something like that. Yeah. Well said. I mean, that that would be part of one of the interesting things if, if you sent 
someone out. Like I know you and I have been like, well, they could just send out Kerfoot, but it's like they kind of need, like they need forwards. They, they, even if you add a forward, yeah. like you still kind of need Kerfoot as well, in theory. Well, maybe it's an a- maybe it's Angval then. I mean, they yeah. might just need to push out a little bit of salary to to a, especially. You know, there's some thought that they might add two players at the at the at the deadline. Sure. You know, if they're adding a defenseman and a forward, then you're going to have to move something out. Yeah, it would really help them, James. Like if if like Joey Anderson could be something, like ju- even <laughs> just like just give them ten, twelve minutes. Well, I, he's, he, I think he's a fourth line guy, don't you? I mean, I he looks fine. I think he needs a little bit of time to get used to the NHL pace. Like, but I to me, he looks like an eight to ten minute guy on the fourth line. Yeah, so far. It's early. Like they're there giving was, him some run, which is I, I think is smart. They, they had that tough shift. That line had a tough shift in the in near the end of the Tampa game where they got stuck in their zone. That was a bit well. Hairy. You know what's interesting about that, James? So I noted that because he came out of a TV timeout and put his fourth line on the ice. I think it was for a defensive zone draw. I'd have to check my notes. And I was like, that's weird. And and well, it was against Tampa's fourth line. Yeah, and then Tampa. Got a lot of momentum. Out yes, of it. but so one of the things that Keith mentioned, and I asked him about it to follow up today, is like, why did he do that? And he said, and I think this is smart, and I think it's interesting. He wanted to kind of test those guys, and I think he's thinking mm. he's basically thinking ahead to the playoffs, where he's like, "Can I trust these? Can guys I trust here? Pontus Holmberg to play in a playoff game? I want to see. I want him to be exposed to that type of." situation and see what it's like and it's like he's he's saying basically i'm trying to win the game obviously but i'm also trying to kind of prime those guys for situations that they might face down the line which i think is really interesting and smart Mm -hmm. anyway like you talk about like coaching and the impact of like a coach can make and the job keith has done he does a lot of those little things that i think are smart well they need to they need to think about the playoffs all year and if there's ways that they can do that I, I think that that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, it's something, James, like I sometimes when I'm writing about certain players, I probably should add that context in that it's like, like I, I, I thought it was like, I wrote about Robertson not long before he got uh, injured. And I was like, man, like he really, it's it's a question of whether he should be in the lineup. And I'm thinking ahead, like, is this a guy who can actually play in a playoff series let alone play in the regular season. Well, especially with some of the turnovers that Robertson had. Like, he, yeah. he sometimes would have really tough turnovers, like, right at the blue line. And it's like, like You do that in a playoff game, like, you're done. You're not playing. Well, it's like, you, you're like Galchenyuking. Like, like and, and that was always a problem with Galchenyuk. He's like, can you trust him in those moments? And, like, that was the criticism. <laughs> the answer and then is he no. Comes in and, you're playing, and you're playing him in those moments, and it's yeah. like... Oh my! It's goodness. so funny, James. That's why this guy isn't playing in the top six on another NHL Man, team? Man, it's so funny because he was like the best fitting guy with Tavares and the owner, and it's like that was the the thing though. Like he would do stuff where you're yeah, like, "Oh just, my god, don't do that." He would just like, yeah, <laughs> one massive brain fart. Cost um, game, yeah. We have, we have people are feeling in like a festive mood or something because there's a lot of questions in the pod bag that have nothing to do with. The Leafs are, they're just like random. So can I, sure. can we answer some random? You love Goofy. All right. Wesley wants to know what Christmas movie do you watch every year? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? The one that I like lately is uh, Bad Santa with Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, it's That's a good the one. one. I get, uh, I get great entertainment out of that one. And I, I, now that I'm a, a dad, I, I like watching the, uh, the Griswold one with, uh, Chevy Christmas Chase. Vacation. I, I, I get, I get great. I 
the, the only thing with watching that, like, I remember watching that when I was younger and be like, oh, this guy's such a loser and what a buffoon. And now when you watch it, when you're like close to his age and you're a dad, you're like, you, you're like rooting for him and you're on his side and like, <laughs> you can just see how hard he's trying to make it a good Christmas for everyone. It's like, yeah, that's how I feel too. So I think those movies are, I don't know if underrated is the right thing to say, but like they are so, some of those are so good. Not all of them. Um, well, they were kind of just like considered like goofy screwball comedies, which I sort of, they sort of are, but they don't really make comedies. Like they don't that make comedies. Like, like, yeah. Really. Like I love James. It's not a Christmas movie, but planes, trains and automobiles is just fucking amazing. Like top to bottom. <laughs> so funny. John I haven't Candy. seen that in a long it's time. It's so good. My wife showed the kids uh, home alone for the first time the other that's day. My, Th- that's that my, that's my answer. That was a, my daughter's four years old and like, I was like, eh, she seems a bit young for that, but she loved it. She was like talking about like, oh, they put water on the stairs and then the guy slipped and then like the, she was talking about it at dinner and it's so funny to hear a four-year-old's voice like talking about all these, you know, and that's a movie that's like 30 years old, I think. Like it goes way back. The second one is good I too, never, James. Home Alone too. I was never a big Home Alone guy. I don't want to rain on your, uh-huh. I don't want to yuck your yum, but Home Alone wasn't never my Home thing. Home Alone's good. It's a great one. Die, do you consider Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yeah. So one of the replies is like, uh, I don't consider Die Hard a Christmas movie, but I do tend to watch it at Christmas. It's always on. Yeah, like, it's I like always it. around. Are you an elf guy? Are you in on elf? Yeah, elf's good elf's too. Funny. I, I feel like I've, and the kids like watching that too. So like that, that has like mass appeal to everyone. No, I'm sure we'll put that on here in the next few it days. It checks a lot of boxes, yeah. I think I've like overdosed on Elf though. I've seen it so many times. When I play it, it gets a lot of negative reviews here, just because it's kind of what. It's just like it, Elf does. It's just like if if you're not into that and like you've seen it a million times, it can be annoying. I do well, not I'm think so, but I can understand. Anyway, the way that it starts is brilliant too, with like the penguin and the North Pole stuff, and like my kids just love that part. So. And he's too big for the shoes in the shower. Like Will Ferrell in the in the shower. Like as a tall person, I can identify when I end up in one of those small showers. You're like trying to splash the water on yourself. <laughs> That's you. Yeah, <laughs> it is me sometimes. Uh, like when the shower head is below where your head is. Like, what are you supposed to do? All right. Uh, there were some more goofy ones, but I can't find them right now. Let's go back. We go back to the hockey questions, and if we run more into more goofy sure. questions, we'll get back into them. Um, Chad wants to know, do you see a long-term fit for Connor Timmons with the Leafs? Small sample size, but the early results seem solid. I mean, he's only played six games, but like I've been looking ahead to their roster and trying to like build them into the projections. The other thing that you, know, you were talking about not having arbitration rights, he's going to be cheap next year. Yep. So all of a sudden, you got Giordano's cheap, Lilgren's cheap, Sandine's cheap. Timmons is going to be cheap. Like, what's he? He's going to get like, he's barely, he's only going to get like, nothing. He has no, he's going to get like 900K. Yeah. Like, he's got no case for more money. So, all of a sudden, you have, if, if that's your bottom four on your D, you, you got to, and, and you have Brody and you have Riley. I mean, you're, you're kind of set, right? Even if Hall doesn't come back. Yeah. I mean, like, you think of what you're, you'd be paying potentially for like your bottom four, right? Like, nothing. Giordano makes 800, 1.4 for the, the Swedes, and then, it's like four million or something yeah. for yeah four and a half million for four D. Yeah. So you're in your blue line in general, you know Riley at seven and a half and and Brody at five. 
overall is not a lot of money for your top 60 and you can allocate that money to to goal or or to you know i, I think that depending on how the cap goes up and i think the cap's going to go up anywhere from 1 to 3 or 4 million i think they potentially can allocate some more of that money up front next year yeah or they could also decide to spend more on d and get someone better but then who do you sit though cuz like we like all all these guys i mean if you can get a better defenseman, you sit the worst one. I don't know. <laughs> Timmons, I guess. Like, there's your, some interesting, like, free agent D next summer. Hmm. Like, my guy, Damon Severson. Huh? Uh, Dimitri Orlov uh, is a UFA. Anyway, go ahead. I, I like Orlov. Yeah. I, 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 that, I mean, he's probably looking at five and a half, six million. Yeah, though, right? well, that's what we're talking about. I didn't know we were talking yeah, about Yeah, we are. That. All right. Interesting. Um, Nick's question is, uh, what's going to happen with Jordy Ben and Victor Mete? Are they going to stay on the team to the end of the season? Are we potentially going to lose them on waivers? So when uh, Riley gets back, they're going to have the cap room because of, of the Muzzin LTIR, but as soon as they want to make that that pre-deadline addition, they're, it's going to get really tight against the cap, and they're not going to be able to carry very many extra players, so they are potentially going to have to waive those fellows. Well, they, I mean, they could waive Simmons. No, but, but when they make their trade deadline addition, if they want to spend the four-plus million, they're going to have to waive a bunch of people. Oh, yes, right? okay, yes. Like they're, I I mean so the guy that you'd th- probably be more worried about losing is is Ben honestly just because like teams probably would yeah. look at him and be like this is a good guy to have around in the playoffs as an extra. Well, he played well when he played too, right? Like it's too bad he got hurt because he could have started building some momentum. Although I don't know who you would sit with. I guess the good news with him getting hurt is you went out and got Timmons, who looks like he can be yeah. something. He looks like he can be a piece even beyond this mm-hmm. season. Uh. Jeff wants to know, with the Leafs, quote-unquote, destroying Tampa on Tuesday, uh, that's looking like their likely playoff matchup already. How confident are you that the Leafs... (laughs) This is not my wording, so I'm just going to read what Jeff put. How confident are you that the Leafs will spank Tampa in round one? (laughs) How confident are you, Jonas, that there's going to be a spanking? I am not confident. Are you? It's going to be an... No, it'd be, it's going to be the same. It's going to be another series that comes down to one game and one goal, is what I would say. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Tampa like still looks like, I know they looked awful in that game, but like their lineup is still right there. I like their team. I like their I team. I like their team. I like their coach. I think they're tired right now. Like They play a lot of hockey. I, you know, Vasilevsky hasn't been Vasilevsky yet. Like That's going to come. You know, and they could be a team that it could add at the deadline too, so... I don't think anybody should be looking at that game and being like, I, I what I would say is that I think that maybe the Leafs have a, a little bit more of an edge than they did last year. You know what, you know what, James? Like, so where I'm at is I look at their top two lines and I think that's probably a draw. I look at their bottom two lines and I think Tampa's are better. I look at Tampa's the top of the top Tampa defense and I think better. And in goal, they're better. They lost a bit of depth, right? Like they lost Palat, they lost McDonough. Yeah. What what the Leafs honestly They're James not- like I I we think of ahead to the playoffs all the time obviously. What the Leafs big advantage in a series potentially is if Matthews and Marner just go bananas and are just the best players in the series bar down like bar none. 
Well, and that hasn't that's what they happened need. yet. That's what they need. They need them to take over some of the games. Yeah, and just be like, we're not losing. So, yeah. anyway, we're a long way from there. But yeah, it's looking like it'll be, if it's not Tampa, like unless they can win the division. Like winning the division, man, is just so important, obviously. Well, with the way this stupid playoff format is, it, it, let me ask you this. This is a big point of conversation coming out of the Board of Governors meetings. How do you feel about adding a play-in round to the NHL playoffs? I'm okay with it. Like, what do you think? I think it's fine because it rewards the team the best. Like, the play-in round is going to be, it would be the 7-8 teams would play the 9-10 teams in a play-in round. Yeah, that's how the NBA does it. And it would would reward the top six. Like, I think part of the problem with the playoff format is the Leafs are finishing in the top six of the conference these years and not getting any benefit from it, really. Like, they're getting a really difficult matchup. I think that if you win your division, you should get an easier matchup in the first round. And I think making those teams that finish seven, eight have to go through another grind of having to beat out another desperate team in some elimination games, you know, watching the blue Jays play in those games was, was like, yeah, th- this is cool. Like this is, yeah, you're right. But, but, this is but to your point, James, there should be more of a reward for regular season success. Like yeah. I even think the higher seed should get another home game, like on top of what they already yeah. get, like it should be like five to two. Or something. Yeah. It should. Yeah. Because in, in hockey and we're like with goaltending and whatever, the teams are so close and the parity is so extreme that you you know, there's so many it's great in that that this can happen that the eight and the seven seed could knock off the one and the two seed. Like that's one of the great things we like about the first round of the playoffs. But I it just feels like there's not especially in a thirty two team league and I think you're right. I think there needs to be more of a reward. But let's be honest, James. Not going to happen. Uh, Kyle wants to know. I don't think it's Kyle Dubas. Yep. But maybe he does want. Maybe Kyle Dubas does curious. want to What is more likely to happen? Scenario A. Matthews or Marner finish their career as the Leafs' all-time points leader. So that's scenario A. Okay. I, think it's pos- I think it's possible. Uh, B. Morgan Riley finishes his career with the most games played in Leafs history, which is more likely to happen. So where is Riley now? He's, I mean, with that contract, he's going to become, is it Salming that has the most games? I am looking at it now. He is George Armstrong. Oh, George Armstrong. Okay. There's a group of them that are. Morgan Riley right now. Oh, he's a ways back. Uh, so George Armstrong has played 1,188 games. Morgan Riley wow. right now is 16th with 674. I mean, he would have to play like another seven years as a leap, basically, right? Yeah. yeah. But he's got the contract, so that's why people... Now... I think what... Yeah, go ahead. If the Leafs end up like going through a rebuild at some point in the next seven years, it's possible he's not going to be here through all of that. So to answer the question, so, James, I think the other guys are more likely. Like right now, Matthews and Marner are 12 and 13. Now, well, Matthews can become the Leafs. If either one of them re-signs on a five-year contract, they both can take over the top. They both can pass Sundin for the most points, right? Yeah, so Matthews is at 495, Marner's at 493, and Sundin is tops at 987. Right. And if they're both getting 100 points yes, a year, it's exactly. not that. They would have to re-sign, but I assume, I think well, at least one of them is going to stay. Yeah. So And low-key, low key, James. I mean, both things could happen though, right? Like Matthews yeah. or Marner could be the points leader and Riley can be the game's play leader. This is something to keep an eye on for the end of the year. Matthews 
will probably be like fifth in goals by the end of the year. All time. Well, if it if he signs another contract, even if it's for like two years, he's going to set the all time goals right very quickly. Like yeah. So right now he has two seventy six. He ranks eighth. Uh, Rick Five is two ninety nine and fifth, and Sundin is four twenty number one. Well, and he's only six years into his career. Like it's pretty yeah. remarkable. I mean, that just shows like how out of this world Matthews' offensive production has been. Yeah, he plays like ten minutes, and he's just the franchise leader. <laughs> What uh, what do you want to do? Like two more? Sure. Uh, okay. Adam wants to know. He says Ingvald doesn't seem to enjoy playing physical, but why not? Is it from the coach? Is it personal preference? Do certain players believe it's a waste of time and a smarter hockey decision to play possession? I'm sincerely asking. This has been a criticism of Engvall. I, I can answer this one because I remember when he came into the league. The criticism of him and the reason he was picked where he was and his development path and everything is that people believed, despite his size, people believed Engvall was a perimeter player in the European League. And it's something that Engvall knows and he's been told for years that he needs to play more of a North American game and be more physical and, and get in the corners and all these things. And it's just... I think for him, it's it's like a mental hurdle because it's just not in his nature to play that way. So to that point, James, there was a really interesting um, comment from Keith about this because obviously one of the things that Keith has been uh, imploring Engvall to do for years, like dating back to the American League, is play more physically. And what he said not that long ago is it, it kind of felt like just not defeat, but just like this is not going to change. Like this is he basically keep, I'm paraphrasing. He, he said he said exactly that. He said, like, I think we, we've come to realize that's just not who he is. That's not in his game. That's not like we would always and we're want not saying more. he's got to fight or like lay guys out or whatever. We're just saying, like, get your elbows up and get in the battle and like get the pot. It's just not but who he is. I wonder where I'm going to look, James. Gentle giant. Where thing? do you think he ranks on the team in hits? Engvall? Yeah. I mean, I mean, they don't have a lot of guys that hit. So, what does he hit? What does he have? Like twenty something, or like he probably has right now. I don't know. The hit stats are so goofy the way they're kept. All so. of the stats are so goofy the way they're kept. <laughs> so frustrating. Well, not goals is kept properly. Yeah, well, that's pretty easy. It's hard to get that one wrong. <laughs> so these are the hits. Oh my god, these are the hits leaders on the list. I'm going to go in order. Sandine, Aston Reese. Hall, Matthews, Tavares, Lilligren, Bunting, Engvall, tied with Mark Giordano. How many does Engvall have? 30 hits in 31 games. Uh, One hit a game. Like 22, or 22 or something, yeah. That's that's not yeah. enough. Sandine is first, though? Sandine's like just outside the top 10 in the league. Isn't that insane for defensemen? Well, he I know he likes to kind of, yeah, I mean, those are... Those aren't like the biggest hits in the world, but he does, you know, play physically. So uh, David asks us a question. He says, what resources are you using when you look up stats or facts during the show? I mean, it just, it depends what, we, what we're looking for. Natural stat trick, hockey DB, what, what, what the hit stats you probably got from NHL.com. Right? Yeah. I've been at like, we were, I did overdrive, I think last week and we were talking about Gary Bettman and 30 years and like, we got around to the conversation. I brought up how bad some of this stuff is and. They didn't care, but I would love it if like the NHL just had like amazing stat tracking and modern, like a modern line of thought on some of this stuff because they just don't. So, 
Anyway, nobody cares. <laughs> All right. Not even you. I care. I know, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to make sure you were listening. They've decided that they're giving that those analytics to to the teams, right? Like, and not giving them to the the public or to yeah, us. That makes that right? makes sense. Just keep your fans. I thought isolated. it was going to be available to us. I mean, it would be fantastic. I mean, it, I got I got you know I, I haven't been writing as much this year, but like I found it very frustrating as someone covering the league that like we just don't have the adequate tools to like like the analysis we're able to do is just not deep enough. Yes. It's very frustrating. For what we want to do. Yeah. And it's frustrating to the fans too because they want to they want to know more. I had a question I was going to close this off with and now, oh, there it is. Seven hours. There's so many questions sometimes it's hard to find uh, find everything. Uh, let's, let's end with this one. Uh, Derek wants to know uh, what is it like covering a good team versus covering a bad team? That's a good question. Do you want to take the? I mean, you covered lots of bad teams in the beginning. So did I. What do you What do you think? Well, yeah, and the. I mean, I became basically when I was at the Globe Mail. I covered the Leafs for eight or nine years, full basically full time. Mm-hmm. Um, they were bad. The only year they made the playoffs was was uh, the 2013 season, and they were still a bad team. Like that was still not a very good team. That just, I think, if that was a full season, they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs. Um, it, it's a it's a way different because you know I covering a bad team, especially back then I, I felt like it kind of played to my strengths because I could, I was writing columns all the time that were critical of the acquisitions they made or the way the roster was constructed or the way they were playing or the tactics or the goalies or what the coach was saying or whatever you know and now the team is like the the Leafs are a well run team there's not a lot to like criticize what they've done really like i mean they had 115 points last year they were fantastic the year before i mean really the only thing you can really pick at with the leafs is what happens in the playoffs and it's a hard thing to do like you're going to write about that every day of the regular season that they lost you know in game seven of the playoffs the year before so you know i I think that i think for us it's it's almost um we're almost kind of just waiting for the playoffs sometimes right and that makes it challenging covering this team sometimes yeah, I would agree. I mean, for for me, it doesn't like, I guess it doesn't totally change that much. Like you just kind of cover what happens. It's just when they're winning, there's the stories tend to be more positive because players are playing well, right? But when they were bad, you could be like, this is what they're doing wrong and this is how they're doing it wrong. And this is like why it's wrong. And like, you know, but I don't, I don't know. It's with, with this Leafs team, it's, they're they're just they're efficient and they're good and they, they have a smart front office. I was listening to uh, Chris Johnston on his podcast earlier this week talk about this, and he was saying like you know we covered. He was just saying like the perception of the Leafs from around the league is just like how much better run they are than they used to be. Yes, you know, and like those years when the like they were it was a bit of a clown show when I started covering the team. Like it just like the Toscala trade and like like there was just like some Clarkson contract and didn't believe in analytics and they were just doing some really dumb things yeah over and over they just act more like a big team which they are like they spend more they have more depart like they're just i don't i don't know if that makes sense they're just more run like a bigger operation which they should be like but they make smart decisions like they they have a lot of people like they have a lot of smart people like they should right anyway james Uh, i think is that the last one 
Well, Derek just had the second part of his question. Sure. He said, would a would a Leafs Cup top the Boston collapse as the top Leaf story that you've covered? <laughs> yeah. I think so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the Leafs winning a cup would be like, a, like for, a, for a sports writer, that would be a, a pretty... I think I said to you, you know, I, I haven't been writing that much. I haven't been traveling that much. But if the Leafs all of a sudden go on a run, I think I'm going to show up at some <laughs> more of the games. So... Um, but yeah, that that uh, that that can close us out, Jonas. I mean, we're like three days till Christmas here. Yeah, so happy holidays to everybody. Um, we appreciate all the support, um, and yeah, like I appreciate you, James. I appreciate Punch, our producer. We appreciate the Thanks, listeners. Um, yeah, just lots of love. We got to get together for some eggnog here over the next little while. Yeah, I'm done with eggnog, but I'll I'll tell you that story <laughs> another day. <laughs> <laughs> you had a bad eggnog yeah, experience recently. I did, okay, I, <laughs> never again. And now we do have to get together. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be the one drinking the eggnog. All right. Well, we will talk in the new year and have a safe holiday and safe new year for everyone. And thank you again. 